Therapy. I am Sheree Hardy. So grateful to be able to share with you today. I hope you and your family are doing well in every way possible. So I have decided to do an episode. I'm going to title this episode, Savages and Savants. Savages and Savants. And the subtitle will be relating to a case that is out of Virginia, the state of Virginia. Today, NPR um, had an article about this 25-year-old teacher who was shot and critically wounded by a six-year-old child. I'm going to say that again in case you missed this. It made the national news. A six-year-old brought a gun to school and shot his teacher. And the article was about the fact that she has now filed a $40 million lawsuit, which is she rightfully is deserving of that and more. Um, Based on the story, this particular student had had issues with behavior. One issue, one thing in the article was that he was running around um, chasing people, I think they said a whip, I don't know how that works, but chasing people and threatening to hurt them. He um, cursed out his teachers and other peers. He actually, last year, if I'm not, if I got this article right, last year he choked his kindergarten teacher. And I'm trying, this is a very, I'm trying to figure out, you know, how could this happen? This is a small child. And what's interesting is when the incident happened, apparently they had teachers had reported problems with this student, but the student never really had, there was never really any effective intervention to change the course of his behavior. So according to the article, he was not in a special education program where he would have been And I think this article was suggesting he would have been isolated from, you know, the mainstream school setting. And in a way, for some people, I don't know how, there are different special ed programs, and I want to do a whole episode on that one day. But some of those programs mainstream all students, where all students have, you know, classes with so-called regular students. And then you have programs back in the day depending on the level of severity of your exceptionality, you might be in a self-contained classroom and you would just be with that class your all day or most of the day, something like that. So he was not put in special ed and I got the impression that his parents didn't want him put in special ed. And um, so that was one thing. And then he would often, according to this article, he would often come back to class after, you know, I guess he'd be written up by a teacher. They would just bring him back to class with a piece of candy. So he was, he never faced any consequences. And this is a very interesting story because it it poses the question, how do, how do we create, or how does humanity create savages and savants? How is it that a six-year-old child, first of all, could get access to a gun, a loaded gun, because he, I I doubt if he, you know, bought the gun, loaded it, and then shot it, a loaded gun, the attorney for the family is saying that the gun was in a closet, it was locked up, 
how so how did he still get this gun that's number one and then he was able to bring it inside the school the school is now going to have metal detectors so before that they didn't have metal detectors after this incident i think the superintendent was fired and an assistant principal at the school resigned i'm going to put a link to the article that i read from npr um and so this is a tragedy on so many levels. So there are a lot of questions that I want to just want you to think about because I'm an educator and I have been in education for over 30 years. And let me tell you, I've taught different kinds of students. I've taught some students who had issues with violence and their behavior. Um, I have a confession to make. You know, if I felt threatened, most of the time I dealt with that myself. I I don't even know in my career did I ever write up a student because I felt threatened. I do remember a particular student threatening me when I was teaching at a high school. I've been at this one high school for almost 20 years. And there was this one student and you know he was he wasn't normally a person who would act out in that way or make threats but this particular day I said something to him and he said something like he was going to punch me in the mouth and when he said that I responded in a way like if you put your hands on me you'll never forget you put your hands on me and then I remember saying to him and he often tells the story too that I said, you know, the devil, this is nothing but the devil. The devil needs to come out of you. Come out of him right now. And, I, and this is what happened. And I tell, I don't tell the story often. He has told the story too. But he was sitting in the back of the room and close to the door, there was a garbage can. And he was very close to that garbage can. And he turned over and he started vomiting. And then he ran out of the room. And I thought, because this happened after lunch, that maybe, you know, he from all his activity and he's, you know, getting all hype, I thought that maybe he had just was vomiting from the food. But later he says that something came out of him and it was a spiritual moment. And during this spiritual exchange that he changed and it, whatever it was, a dark force had come out of him. And I have to admit, he did change. Now what's interesting, this is this is what, where the story gets very interesting. He had threatened to hit another teacher that teacher handled the situation totally differently. She went to the office, which I should have done. I should have, I should have been, you know, my style was the gangster hood style, right? But she went to the office and she wrote him up. And because he threatened to assault her, he was removed from her class. And this student needed that class because it was a science class and that school only had, you know, certain teachers teaching certain things. This is before online classes and all these other online platforms. And he almost didn't graduate because when they removed him from the class, he couldn't, he had no way to take that class. I don't know to this day how they worked that out. I don't know if he ever returned and how that worked. But after that, he did change. And his mother would, um, she, we, would we would talk, he would eat lunch with me and I would talk to him. And I would just encourage him and, and his mother would, you know, buy us Subway and we eat lunch and we talk. And I became like a mentor to him and I used to keep up with him. 
quite a bit. Um, and he was able to go to college. He graduated. He's a very intelligent young man. And I don't know what this is about with our young men, but, and I've, and I've heard people say this, like they'll have girls and they'll have a son. And the girls, they, they are not as likely to follow peer pressure when it's something negative, but boys do. And over and over and over again, when I talk to someone who has a son, they'll say, you know, it's nothing like my daughter's date when it was time to do this and that. You know, the girls always did this and that, but my son. And this young man struggled with following the wrong crowd. I have said this over and over again. People need to open their eyes because from the moment a black boy is born, he is inundated with certain negative images of black maleness and black manhood. And so I think, and then just just think about this for a second. If you grow up and you see a similar negative image and you see that image tens of thousands of times, you believe that image is is truth. You begin to associate male blackness with certain negative things. And I just went through some training that we had to go through, implicit bias training. And it was so fascinating to me because, uh, you know, it made you think about how you associate things automatically. For example, um, and it was it was telling because, we, you know, you take the test yourself and you realize, OK, wow, I when I see a certain race in certain situations, I think of one thing. And but one of the things that was so simple is it was like you see certain things that go together. So one of them was like milk and cookies, then, you know, salt and milk. And then it was um, cookies and, and something else. But what's so interesting, we automatically just see, okay, milk and cookies go together. Well, just imagine the power of these images, and this is all intentional, that black males, from the time they're born, they see tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of images of themselves in a certain way. And usually it's not positive. So they begin to associate negative behavior with being black is something that you do and it's, it's and this is what the training taught me which we know but you know you have to you know you really get you think about it because you know it but you're not thinking about it it's on a subconscious level these images are intentional and this is why we see the kind of violence that we see in our community and it's senseless it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense it's just senseless violence because over and over and over again, our young men are seeing themselves connected to violence and misogyny and thugism and drugs and alcohol and sex perversion and all these things. And it's no surprise so to somebody like me because I, now I work at all girls school now, but it, when I worked at a school where there was a heterogeneous um, population, it was no surprise for me to understand why the boys were doing what they, many of the boys, not all boys, but many of them were doing a certain thing. And then I had a business in a public place where I saw thousands of black men, young, old, middle age, and, and they all, and it's interesting that many of them, no matter what the age was, they sort of had that same persona. And so you know it's coming from 
the most powerful um, engine, and that is media. And how do you fight that? And so I just want to plug that in there. But this is the question. Should the parents be charged in this case? I have said that when it comes to these children going to school and hurting others, if the child is under 18 years old, the parents must be charged. There must be some charge. And I guarantee you, if you make this a law, a national law, that if your child comes to a school and hurts others, there will be a reduction in violence at school. So you can't, because this is the interesting thing. Children spend less time at school than they spend outside of school. And people forget this. At one time, there was this, this weird jargon that, oh, you know, kids are at school for longer. That's not true. Children are only at school for eight hours a day. There are 24 hours in a day. So do the math. Just do that math. There are 16 more hours where children are outside of school. So you're outside of school twice as much as you're in school in a day. That's number one. Number two, in America, children only go to school for 180 days. That that is the that's the time they have to go. Mind you, you can you can consider, I'm gonna say on average, every student has five absences. So you take the average amount of time, average amount of days that a student goes to school is 175 days. 175 days, you do the math. That means that a child is out of school for 190 days. I think I got the math right on that. 190 days. So you're out of school for more time than you're in school. There has to be some accountability to the people who handle these children outside of school, and that is the home. And when when you start making parents accountable, let me tell you, you're gonna have a lot, you're gonna have reduction in the violence that is happening in our schools. And that's what you have to do. You have to get these parents involved and you have to charge them. That's the question. How do you produce before this? And I I turned away, but you know, I was watching 48 hours. And it was a case of a man who, um, at the point I was at, the family just knew that their daughter was missing, adult daughter was missing. And they hadn't found her, but what they did find out is that the man that she was with, and she wasn't married to the man, I don't think, she was with this man, they were together for a while, and she was in, I wanna say Panama, and they were in the United States, but they were you know, keeping in contact through emails, but one day she just went MIA. And then they found out later that he was married and that he had a child and that their daughter was missing. And so the question is, and I kind of, you know, know it's probably gonna end up him killing her. And I'll keep watching the story at some point if I do get to finish it. But my point is that how do you produce savages or savants? How do you produce people that are violent? Because supposedly, again, this little boy was chasing people with, with whips. He was he had choked another teacher. Choked a teacher. And this is the thing. And he wasn't even exceptional ed. You don't even realize that when children are exceptional ed and they hurt a teacher or hurt a student, do you know these people get to stay in school? 
Because if not, the ACLU, and I haven't done my research on that. I've been wanting to get my memoirs together and now actually me being on this new schedule and teaching and having my summers off, I pray that within the next two years, my memoir will be finished. And my book is not about, it's not an expose, well, it is an expose, but it's not just negative. I'm trying to present solutions for future educators and people who want to be administrators and who are going to be making the decisions about what happens in schools. And that's what my book, what I want my book to be about. And one of the most interesting things is that, people don't know this, is that the reason why they say that black males are suspended more than anybody else. But you see, when you work in a school and you see male, black males being violent, and being able to come back to do more violence, then you start to wonder, okay, what is the solution? If we can't suspend them, because the, the, the ACLU will sue these school districts. There are, there are people who are watching what's happening and they're keeping up with what's happening in these schools, but they don't work in the schools. So they only see Oh, they, don't, they have a bird's eye view. They can see some things, but they don't see everything. They don't have that worm's eye view up close and personal where you can see what's happening. And I remember marveling that children can disrupt learning. Because when you, when you have chaos and you don't have order, you can't teach. For anybody who's listening and, and, and you do not work in education, I want you to understand, we cannot teach children anything in chaos. When there's violence, when there's a threat of you being hurt, you cannot learn, period. And that goes on in many schools and you can't suspend them. And then I don't, you know, some school districts have policies that allow you some flexibility. For example, like my school, I don't even think we have in-school suspension, but like some schools have in-school suspension where you're not out of the school, so you're not home, which... You know, I've heard administrators say, well, you know, if they home, <laughs> then they going to go and rob somebody else's house. You know, they, they, they violent, they hurt somebody else outside of the school. So it's different things that have to be worked out, and I have some ideas about that. But who should be charged? No one has been charged in this case so far. The lady has filed, the teacher has filed a $40 million lawsuit, which she rightfully should, and she deserves $50 million. And, um, but... What's interesting is the parents have not been charged. They have a lawyer. They have lawyered up. Um, This six-year-old is probably in somebody's school. And when a person is that young and there's a threat to society, what do you do? And how do you produce a six-year-old, this is not the first time this has happened, to come to school and have that level of violence? Something is happening at the home because, again, children are outside of school more than they're in school so there has to be a level of accountability and again when I start doing my book and start doing my tours and talking about this you are going to have to find the parents there has to be some accountability and I'm not saying you know something happens just you know immediately call the police on the parents but I think that when people start school this is something that is not required Parents don't have to come to orientation. They don't have to read about what the expectations are. 
parents only send their children to school and that's it. Do you know that is their only legal obligation is to just send them to school? They don't have to read anything. They don't have to know anything. They can just send their child to school. That has changed where when anybody who is, because public people, I pay taxes, you pay taxes. Anybody who gets to go to a public school, go to school for free, they should be required to come to some kind of meeting. Just like teachers have to go to certain meetings, parents need to go to certain meetings. And they need to know up front, if your child, and you cannot come to school unless you come to this orientation, if your child hurts another person, then you're going to be charged. If it's something with gross negligence, because this is gross negligence, a child, should, six-year-old child should not be bringing a gun to school. Again, it's not the first time it's happened. You've had children bring drugs to school and give the drugs to children. You've had other people, to children, to bring guns to school. And I don't know, there might have, I'm sure there's some other cases of this young. Now, there have been many cases of violence in schools. And this evil, these savages, this savagery, savage behavior, rather, it can stop and it needs to stop and it needs to stop today. So we have to start to think this through because this young teacher, 25 years old, didn't really even get a chance to start her career. I doubt if she will ever want to be in a classroom. That's traumatic. You're, and she was sitting, they said she was sitting at a reading table. The child walks up and shoots her. She was able to get the other kids out because if he had turned around and started, I mean, this could have been ugly. It could have been ugly. We know what just happened in Tennessee. This has been happening all over. And my heart grieves for anybody who has a young child in school. And if all the things you have to pray for, you got to pray for your child comes back home alive. And we have to go through drills. You know, people have to, we, we literally have to train for this. Some people don't think we should. No, we have to train. That was a Christian school. And I'm sure they're not thinking, there's no reason. I don't know whatever happened. People try to find motives. There's no reason, even if someone did something to you, there's no reason for you to go back and shoot up a school because something happened to you. There are other things you can do if it did, but there's no reason for this. It's senseless. And guess what? Um, this could not happen and no one prepared. So I just want to say this um, to you all. Please, whatever you do, whatever you do, good people, um, we have to, you got to, even if you don't have children, we have to figure out a way to um, uh solve this problem. I just got a text message out that looks absolutely crazy. I'm going to look at this in a few minutes. But um, you guys, that's the question. So pray for that teacher. Her name is, I wrote it down. I want to mispronounce her last name. Her name is Abby Turner. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. And um, I'm going to put the link to this article in the um put it in the um, description box of this podcast yes it says I put wrote down he strangled and choked a kindergarten teacher he chased people around with a belt that's what it was he chased around with a belt 
he cursed out teachers and other staff members not in a special education program. He did have a modified schedule and this child who he, he was they were warned this child had anger problems and the school did not properly intervene. And I'm all for you know not throwing away the child and not just I'm not, I'm not for kicking out children because they have problems. What I am for is that once you take intervention methods, uh, measures, and the, the parents don't follow through because we, again, children are out of school for longer than they're in school. So once you set up some kind of intervention program and the parents don't do their part, that child is a threat to the school community and the community at large. And they, they need to, you know, you can't let them come in, period. This stuff has to change, you guys. So I hope you um, learn something from this show. We have to start to raise our children with empathy, with the awareness of what it means to hurt other people. Because I heard a, a minister say 30 years ago, he said something so interesting. He said, you don't have to teach a child how to do wrong. You have to teach a child how to do right. You don't, you know, you don't have that thought about that. You don't. You children already know, have a sense of right and wrong, some kind of way. What we have to do is teach character, not change their personalities, but teach character. I was watching and I couldn't get through it. Ooh, it's, it's just so gross. It's gruesome. And I just couldn't get through it, y'all. Um, the Jeffrey Dahmer, um, Series and I, I would try to get through it because I wanted to understand it. Like what happened? But what I noticed throughout, if this documentary or docudrama is based on true events, Jeffrey Dahmer was not ever directly taught right from wrong. You know, taught what was evil. It's evil to hurt people. He had this fascination with animals and dead animals. And that could have been directed, his interest in that, in a good way. We could have had a, a fantastic zoologist or veterinarian. I mean, there's so many things, but it, it turns out that he was killing humans and dissecting and, and chopping up humans. And it just, in the sex part, and there was never, he never had a chance to express what he was really going through and someone teach him just flat out, this is why you don't do this. You, you have to. I'm one of people, I believe, you don't assume, children don't just automatically know what is right and wrong. You have to explicitly teach children what is wrong, what is right, why it's wrong and right. And teaching and telling are two different things. You need to give concrete examples. You need to use the media. You need to talk about this hurting people. Um, We're not put on this earth to just hurt people. But there are some people from the time they wake up, I, I, I just don't understand it. From the time they wake up to the time they go to bed, all they want to do is hurt others. So this this conversation can keep going. Um, as I said before, I'm going to title this one, Savages or Savants, How Do We Raise Our Children? Or I don't know what I'm going to subtitle it. But anyway, thank you for tuning in to Bad Thought Therapy. Have a great day. Bye-bye.